Good Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Rocky Top Rewind podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. We appreciate you joining us on this Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Uh, don't forget to check out bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or visit Blue Water online at bluehto underscore climate. Today, guys, you ever had one of those moments where you remember something as something that was better than what it was? Well, that's this moment for me. I remember this game, the 2002 Arkansas game, uh, six overtime deal as this really cool game and um, it had you know, some great moments in it, some disappointing moments in it. And so uh, Austin and I interviewed Casey Clawson about this game. And his interview, by the way, is really good about this game. You'll, you'll hear him talk about the broken collarbone he played with and, and all of those types of things. But then you rewatch this game in detail, and guys, I picked the, I picked the dud. This 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 one was not much. The six overtimes were interesting, but it was a pretty ugly game leading up to this one. I know Jesse, it's the first time you've seen it. I'm sure Rob and Austin, you guys hadn't looked at it since it happened either, because it's a pretty forgetful season for Tennessee and a, and a pretty forgetful game. So, um, anybody well, I mean, have- it, le- it leads it leads to the. It, it leads to such a spiral after this game because Casey's broken collarbone leads into the CJ league debacle at Georgia with James Banks. And then Chris league goes to Florida based off of, you know, what happened with CJ. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's right. a domino effect after this game. So it did play an important part in like how the next few years, I think played out for both Florida and Tennessee, because, you know, Chris Leak was, you know, okay. His first couple of years in, in Gainesville, but, he had a really good senior year when he had Tebow running alongside of him. And uh, you know, where would he have been if Tennessee – where would he have been if he had ended up here going forward? Now, I will say this, 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 this does this, – I do think Hubs is shortchanging this game from an uh, unintentional comedy standpoint, from, <laughs> from Franklin to some of the calamities in overtime to Houston not dealing with the kickers to Randy Sanders calling multiple quarterback draws with a quarterback who has a broken collarbone late. I mean, there's some, there's some pretty good uh, unintentional comedy in this in this game. I think Rob. Uh, I was going to say Austin reminded me of this when he went on when he mentioned the CJ Leak debacle at Georgia and everything that transpired. Hubbard, before we get into the game, real quick, can tell tell the story about Chris Chris Leak that su- that summer August camp. Kyle Wright, who was the number one quarterback in the country from California comes all the way across country for an unofficial visit to Tennessee. I forgot this story. You tell I'll, it. You remember it better than I do. I, I, I'll, I'll tell it because Casey just went over it with me on the phone the other day. Well, no, well I'll set it up. I mean, it was for, you know, for a couple of years, I mean, it seemed like everybody thought Chris Leak was coming to Tennessee. You know, he's from Charlotte. He's the hot, you know, big-time quarterback prospect. His brother transfers in here. And then Tennessee is also recruiting Kyle Wright who ended up being, at least at the time, was the number one ranked quarterback in the class all the way from, from California. Tennessee gets in that one deep. He, cut, he and his whole family come for an unofficial visit on a weekend during, during August fall camp, and boom, what happens? The, the whole CJ, the whole Leak family shows up and stalks around the practice field like they were marking their turf on Kyle Wright while he was in for an unofficial visit. Well, this, and, and Casey ahead, told the story, Brent, about how the coaching staff came and said, hey, we got Kyle Wright coming in. You know, we want to we show him love, love him up. Well, I mean, who else was in that quarterback room with Casey? So, I mean, like, he related it back to the family. Right. Next thing you know, boom, as you guys talked about, you know, they just show up unannounced. And Casey said the look on Philip Fulmer's face 
when the leaks were marching around it right in front of Kyle Wright was just like, there was nothing he could do, but I mean, it was, it, he said it was priceless. Well, and then, they, and then they, you know, obviously end up with neither, but it just kind of shows you some of the drama that was coming from, from the leak family. And then uh, whether Tennessee would have gotten Colorado or not, I don't know, but I mean, it, it was pretty clear after that day that, they, you know, they, they probably weren't. Well, the other thing that happened leading up, and this, I mean, this Arkansas win was the, the high water mark of the year for Tennessee. Now, I mean, I, I'll give Fulmer and his staff some credit. They managed the season with, you know, James Banks at quarterback, who clearly wasn't ready to play quarterback. They went at Mississippi State, and Casey comes back on a bad ankle, a bad foot, and, and shuts out Vanderbilt. They beat some bad teams down the stretch before getting blown out in the bowl game. But this is also – the Kelly Washington famous game day interview where they interview him in the complex during the week leading up to the game for the Florida game, which Tennessee fumbled six times in the rain and and couldn't get to snap and all those things. This is the one where Kelly did the interview in sunglasses and talked in third person in the whole interview. And it was so out of character for Tennessee's for, 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 you know, kind of the, 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 the branding of Tennessee's program, it was way out of character. And it, it ruffled a lot of people's feathers. I mean, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, drama going on with this football team. This also ushered in and ushered out the wide striped pants, which thankfully those things disappeared as well in the, in the uniform <laughs> collection. Those, I don't have any use for those things either. Um, look, let, let, we'll talk you know, uh, briefly about the game here. It, it, it obviously doesn't have a ton of highlights. Tennessee's in complete control in this game. They're going to win in an ugly fashion. They've struggled to run the football. They've struggled to protect. They've had to throw it, you know, out in the flat to Troy Fleming all all evening. But they've got the two-touchdown lead. They give up a score late in the fourth quarter. And then they get the great punt. And Julian Battle, who had moved from safety to corner, decides to turn um, to turn the kid loose. And all of a sudden, you're, you're in a tie football game. And the whole narrative of this game completely changes from that from that point on. Just a it, it, reminiscent of BYU, to be honest with you, from yeah, earlier from, from, from last season. You know, yeah. last season it's like, how do you let a guy get behind you? I had that same thought in the BYU game this past year. I'm like, I hadn't seen that since Julian Battle let a guy get 15 yards behind him for a 92 yard touchdown. I, I was thinking Julian Battle, Alante. <laughs> you know, somebody's like Alante. How do you let somebody do that? Julian Battle's like, hold my beer. <laughs> Yeah, because at least at least they got the guy tackled to send it into. I mean, this was uh, you know ninety two yards, and it, nobody was going to come close to catching him there. Then you get into the overtime deal, and and this is <clears throat> Arkansas had been in that that epic overtime game against Ole Miss the previous year. Tennessee had been in the overtime game against Florida in ninety eight, but but people are trying to figure out how to manage overtime, and, and clearly Jesse, I thought both of these coaches play callers were trying to figure out kind of what like what to do I mean that they run some stuff that just doesn't make sense you mentioned the quarterback draws two-point plays were kind of like well what is this and then Tennessee has you know they settle for field goals in what three of the overtimes you know and then they have two overtimes that they score on, on first down when they just they throw it in the end zone for a wide open touchdown you know to Witten to win it and then obviously the one to Tony Brown really interesting because it Feels like in rewatching it, a lot of grasping at straws in the overtime from a play calling standpoint. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Tennessee's best success offensively in this game, I mean, just writing some stuff down, was always over the middle. Whether it was to Kelly Washington 
or uh, or Witten. They did have a play that I noted in the first half that was hilarious. It just showed it almost like where this game was going because it happened multiple times. They completed this one. They did not complete a couple others. But Tennessee completed this bomb to Kelly Washington. When there was four guys, two Tennessee's receivers ran the same route and were, like, on top of each other. And there was two Arkansas defenders. And that, that play happened multiple times. I mean, it was – but you talk about the spacing difference between now football today and what they were doing then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Randy Sanders was like, especially in the, in the first couple overtimes, clearly just had no faith in anything because as well as Jabari Davis had run the ball, a lot of that came on that 60 yard touchdown. Um, and so he, I mean, he called a, he called a quarterback draw with Casey on like second down you know, one play. I mean, it was just like, he, he did not know what to do. And Tennessee ended up, you know, thankfully for them, they had the better field goal kicker and Houston Nutt was basically tanking his own kicker by running them at a bad angle on the third overtime or else he should have been able to kick a chip shot field. Goal. Well, and Tennessee gets fortunate that they have a block field goal, go over the crossbar or a partially yeah. block field goal, go over the crossbar or, or, or the game is over there. This is, and, and look, I mean, there was a lot of criticisms about Randy Sanders and there was a lot of, um, a lot of things that Randy Sanders, I think, did really well. Uh, this was not a great play-calling game. Uh, overall, I think he was a pretty good play-caller in his tenure as offensive coordinator. But I think you're start, you start to see a little bit here in this season, a lot of it was due to injury, but there's a lack of attention to detail to some stuff, Rob. I mean, you look at the first play in overtime, they run Jonathan Wade out there, and it's literally a train wreck because Jonathan Wade basically tackles Casey Clawson on a jet sweep. You know, and, and, you know, Jesse mentions that there were two receivers too close together. There was a little bit of a slip in attention to detail on some stuff that showed up big time in this game and really showed up in that season. Part of that was due to youth and injury. They got it back in 04 with two freshman quarterbacks and had success. But I think that was one of the adjustments and one of the slippages that you saw in Tennessee's program a little bit right there. I, would, I mean, just contrast this. I mean, what we're seeing right here with I mean, the last game we watched, the, the 01 – Florida game. I mean, it's which, not, by the way, is not a year apart. Yeah, <laughs> if anybody's keeping score at all, I mean, it's less than a year, and it's just—I mean, it's night and day. And yeah, I mean, there's some personnel changes. Don't get me wrong, but you got a lot of the same guys back. I mean, you, you would expect, you know, some more some more carryover. And and I—I I mean, I agree with you completely. I mean, you see just, you know, little things. And I mean, and this wasn't a little thing, but I mean, we, we talk about overtime. That they survived the Jabari Davis fumbling. I mean, giving right. away a possession. How, how different though is this is, is this team if Dante Stallworth don't get duped into going pro? You know what I mean? If, if Dante and Kelly are both there, and and Kelly don't play the old switcheroo, and I don't even think Jesse knows that story. Um, you know, but if that doesn't happen, how different is this team offensively? Um, and and then you know, you, and you lose two big tackles like John and Albert after that 0-1 season. To me, that was a, a blow. Um, you know, for for the football team. And, I mean, they just lost some – I thought some key pieces off of that 0-1 team that just graduated. They weren't great players, but they were kind of glue pieces. Um, the O-line in this know. game was was not nearly as good as the year before. And I was going to say, no. looking at that offensive line, and, I mean, that that's the highlight for me. But if you, if you think about where those guys were as recruits, Munoz, Sean Young, and I know I know Michael had injury problems. That was part of it. But, you know, often he was, was a good player. But I don't, I don't think any – I mean, those guys were huge recruits. I mean, enormous. And I don't think any of those guys lived up to the hype. I mean, obviously, you know, Sean, Sean Young flamed out. I don't think, you know, Michael's injuries and 
and often Hughes was a good but not great player. And I, I think that's one just one area on that team where you saw a drop off happen. I mean, if those guys had you know lived up to the hype or developed, then just a different story with that team. Yeah, no question. And look, I mean, Fred Weary, you know, is a guy that gets injured, and Scott Wells probably not really ready to play at that point. Gets thrust into that Florida game that year. I mean, they had a ton of injuries up front. I think from the all joking aside, and 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 kind of making fun of you know this game being a, me picking this game, and and just kind of the, some of the 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 bizarreness of this game. This is a game that maybe as time has got on gone on shows what fans should appreciate about Casey Clawson. You know, that, I mean, I remember doing TV the, the next morning. I uh, was doing a call-in show with Mark Packer, and, and Heath Shuler was there, uh, Austin. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting to Packer's right, and the telephone is to Packer's left. And we're taking live phone calls. And a guy calls in, and, and I knew Casey was hurt. They did not have they, – they feared it was a broken collarbone, but they did not have the – confirmation of the x-rays back at that point in time on Sunday morning but the family feared that the collarbone was broken this guy calls in and he just eviscerates Casey on the phone he's a bum how bad he is they need to be playing you know whoever else CJ Leak or whoever else they need to be playing and not playing Casey Clawson and I just reached over and hung up the phone I like reached across Packers lap and hung up the phone I just told the guy he was an idiot, and it came out later that day that, that Casey had played all the overtimes with a broken collarbone. But it's, it's interesting in that December 01, Casey was a hero. But this is when kind of the, 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 a little bit of a change occurred and kind of people's attitudes towards some of the individual players. I mentioned the Kelly Washington deal. But this is, you know, Casey was now suddenly California cool and fans were suddenly over him when the reality is he was the glue guy. I mean, he, he was the guy who got him, who, who got him to compete every week, even though he didn't have all of his best weapons around him. I, I, I still contend he's one of the most underappreciated players in, ten, in the last 25, 30 years of Tennessee football, not because he was the most talented player, but he's one of the best winners that's come through this program, and he made everybody around him better. I agree, Hubbard. It's, I come at it. I think I have an interesting perspective here because '02 was my first year covering the team, working with you. '01, I mean, and my perception of Casey Clawson from watching him, just as somebody who watched every Tennessee game in, in, in '01, and then was around him every day in '02, completely changed. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I probably thought he, you know, came into it thinking he was, you know, did have that that kind of California cool persona. But that, I mean, being around him and seeing how his teammates responded to him, that wasn't the case at all. And he was a, as you alluded to, he was a tough SOB. I mean, he, he may have looked like Iceman in, in Top Gun, but he didn't have any of that, you know, prima donna persona. I mean, he was, he was a football player. I mean, he, and he was, guys, he was a guy that his teammates respected because of how tough he was and because of the way he played the game. And that, that really, again, my perception of him, once getting to see him up close, all the time. I mean, it, it did a 180. And, and frankly, having, you know, talked with Casey several times over the years, um, you know, one of the nicest guys you could talk to. We'll sit there and just spend countless amount of time with you just talking Tennessee football. He loves to know the latest. He, he watches from California. They try to, he and Rick try to come in every other year to the Florida game. That's almost a, a dead set thing. Um, before we go any further, I do want to say, uh, you know, prayers out to, to Rick's wife, Katie, as, as 
they've had the baby and, and she continues to, to battle cancer. Um, but I mean, just, uh, you know, just two good guys. And then, you know, I, they kind of got that, you know, that California cool stigma to them, you know, just off of, you know, people kind of, you know, um, you know, just kind of giving them that label. But I mean, I'm telling you, Casey's one of my favorites. He, he's as nice a guy to talk to as, as there is that played here. Tough. I mean, he was just a tough, hard-nosed guy. Is what is what he was. And and the bigger the moment, the better he he seemed to play. He 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 had a rough year this year, this O two year, and he talks about that coming up here on the podcast when he would join us. The the injuries he battled and and playing through some of the stuff he did, and the injuries he had that this team had around. Uh, this was not his. This was by by no means his favorite year of playing football uh, at the University of Tennessee. But uh, he was pretty heroic on this night uh, as. You know, he plays parts of most of the second half and all of overtime with a collarbone. You could see that at the end uh, where he didn't want anybody to, to touch him there. And different deal. I'm not sure in today's world, Jesse, that you let a guy go back out there. I think Jason Witten played this game with a concussion in overtime, which wouldn't happen today. Uh, Ken Hamlin wouldn't have played in overtime because he would have been ejected for the for the hit he laid on Jason Witten that gave him a concussion. Just again, it's 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 about the different times and the different eras of football. Um, but you know, th- this was a night Tennessee fans will remember where they were because Tennessee tried to give one away uh, and then sort of stole it back. Uh, and again, was a highlight in a year where they were just they they were not very good against ranked opponents and uh, really took a a perceived step back. Uh, following that an 01 team that should have played for the Rose Bowl in the national championship. So uh, again, Casey Clawson coming up and uh, he'll break down this game, but more importantly, talk about kind of how the overtimes went, what he remembers about it and all of those things uh, that's coming up here on the Rocky top rewind uh, podcast on this Monday brought to you by our friends at blue water Com- climate control in East Tennessee. You need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team trained, and held to hold you and hold themselves to the highest standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. There are many heating and air companies in East Tennessee. There's only one name you need to remember, veteran-owned, family-operated. It's Blue Water Climate Control. If you need a new air conditioning system or a major repair, whatever, they're going to send out an expert to tell you what you need, not a salesperson trying to get you to buy the what's perceived to be the latest, greatest. So you need somebody to give you all the facts before you make a critical decision about your heating and air system. For more on Blue Water Climate Control, you can call them at 865-299-2290 or visit them online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. Casey Clawson coming up next here on the Rocky Top Rewind podcast. Welcome back to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price. Happy to join, have joined us now, Casey Clawson, maybe the winningest coach in SEC or the winningest quarterback in SEC play in Tennessee history. We're just one game lost, right, Casey, in the regular season, one road game? Yeah, that was at uh, Auburn. That was, yeah, that was a rough night. Hey, you made a big rally oh, yeah. that night. You made a big rally that night, gave yourself a chance to come back and win, right? Yeah, we had a chance at the end. How you guys doing? I'm good, man. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time. We're going to talk about uh, maybe not the most popular game or the most uh, historic game or the prettiest game in history, uh, but that's the uh, 2002 Arkansas game. Casey, I picked this game because it's the six-overtime thriller, and your story that night was a pretty remarkable one when you got to the end. What, what do you remember – Let's talk pre-overtime. What do you remember about that game? 
Yeah, that was by far probably the one of the most physical games um, I've ever I've ever been part of. Uh, Arkansas was really really good uh, defensively, especially um, they had Matt Jones at that time run all over the field, which gave our defense a challenge uh, defensively. But uh, yeah, it was a back and forth game. Not a lot of points um, scored. We had a hard time doing anything, um, running it or throwing it. They pretty much put uh, I think his name was Ahmad Carroll on Kelly. And they doubled up Jason, and they said, "Run the ball or throw the ball to somebody else." So it, it was a it was a tough tough night that night for us offensively. Casey, when you look back at that game, obviously, uh, you know as you noted, not a not a pretty game early on. But you get to the fourth quarter, then the fireworks start to fly a little bit. Um, was there a was there a moment for both mm-hmm. sides that? You guys, because you know you had, you had not been great up to that point, then all of a sudden you're able to make some plays. Yeah, I think uh, it finally opened up where we did hit a couple of plays and then we got up on them. I think uh, early in the fourth or maybe end of the third, then they made a couple of plays and I think they scored like with like a minute fifty or two minutes left to go in the game. Late, we actually had them pinned down and um, which sent it into overtime, and that's when everything just – it was back and forth pretty much. Uh, it, 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 it was a wild game. Well, you mentioned the, the, the late play. It was a 92-yard pass that the defense gave up to, to tie that game, to send it into overtime. What's the mentality at, at that point? It's been a long night. It's been a frustrating night offensively, but everything looks like you're going to hang on for the win and get out of there and, quote, an ugly game like, you know, 17 to 10, something like that. It turns into 41-38. What's the mentality as as regulation ends, Casey, and you got the, the pressure mounts for what what you know overtime life is like? What's your mentality there? Yeah, we're just excited to be able to play, I guess, some free football. So uh, the pressure for us, with the group that we had back then, um, it never really um, got to us. It was more of an opportunity for us to play some more football. So technically, we only had four quarters, but in that instance, um, you know, get, get credit to them. They made a play late at the game and. We went to overtime. Our philosophy was trying to score every single time we had the ball offensively and get stop defensively and just ended up going, you know, back and forth for a while. You always love pressure. You enjoy it. The, the bigger yeah. the moment, the happier you were. So did, did was it just another play? Because, I mean, there's points in, in, that, in those overtime periods where, you know, it's a fourth down play. you got to make a play to extend the game. Why do you think mm-hmm. you're, you were mentally built for, for overtime type play, sudden death type play like that? Yeah, I just think the bigger the game, um, the group that we had, um, you know, back then, I think we, we all rose to the occasion. I think, um, you know, sometimes looking back, um, maybe we played less talented teams to kind of, you know, went through the motions for a little bit, maybe early on in the game, and then, you know, turned it on. But the bigger the competition to get it back then, we were, you know, top five, top ten program every year. And um, everyone, we knew every Saturday we were get everybody's best shot, regardless of who we played. And um, I think the bigger the moment, um, whether it's at home or on the road, um, we had guys that set up and made plays. And that was really the key to I think, the time that I was there was it's all about making plays. If we made more plays than the other team, odds are, odds enough we're going to win. If the other team made more plays than us, then they won. We shook their hands and got ready for next week. So college football, the NFL, even the high school level, it's all about guys making plays and stepping up in big moments during the game. Before we get to the, to the injury and the, 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 the game winner to Jason, how much did that game in 02, because of the fourth down conversions and the, and the big plays in overtime, 
help prepare you for a year later when you had to go to five overtimes and complete a fourth and 19 at Alabama? Yeah, I think the first time we went through it in overtime, obviously they changed the rules, I believe, maybe a couple of years before then, but um, we had practiced that, you know, numerous times. I think, uh, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday, we'd always end practice with uh, you know, overtimes and either the offensive win or defensive win. So we were kind of um, used to doing it. Obviously, we were able to do it live um, in, against another team on, uh, against Arkansas. But I think every time you do something more than once, it prepares you. And, again, it's free football, bonus football, whatever you want to call it, not only for us but for the fans. And uh, I think as exciting as it was for the fans to watch, it was exciting for us as players to, uh, you know, be able to go out there and play some extra ball. So we enjoyed it. Do you remember? Do you remember the play that that you hurt the, the collarbone? Do you remember the hit? Do yeah. You remember where you were? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like it was uh like it was yesterday. Yeah, I was I think early in the fourth, late in the third, and uh, I think it was a third down play, and uh, I got flushed out of the pocket and stepped up, and um, I think it was actually Brooks, the big defensive lineman, fell on me. And I knew right away when I fell that something was wrong, and uh, yeah, so that's what it was. I don't remember you going and spending a lot of time with trainers on the sideline after, after, I mean, like I nobody, tried, tried nobody knew away. you were hurt. Yeah. yeah I, I, I uh, try to stay away and uh, Jason McVeigh and Keith who were the trainers at the time. Um, we know each other pretty well and they kind of know me and kind of I operated and they came over and said, what's going on? I said, uh, I think my shoulder is a little messed up. And so we tried to stay away cause there was like cameras all behind our bench or whatever. And, he had something, maybe a towel over it. He just felt it underneath there. He said, yeah, it's broke. I said, that's great. I said, anything we can do? He said, not really. I said, okay. And that was pretty much it. Did you put a – you didn't put a pad on it or anything? Did you put an extra pad or anything on it, Casey? Did, did, the, did the trainers uh, do anything? I don't think at that time they had it made yet. For, they didn't have it. No, later on in the season when I, when I you know – Tempted to come back. They put they created something for me, but um, they uh, made me feel a little bit better, so it wouldn't hurt as bad, if you know what I mean. But uh, I just pretty much had to go back out there and play, so that's what I did. Did you ever so, think about coming out and not playing? Did Did you ever get to the point nah, where during the game where you're like, I nah, can't do this physically? Not a chance. No, my my teammates and everybody. You know, again, we relied on each other and. There was a lot of guys banged up. You know, that year going back, if you looked on paper, obviously 2001 was an unbelievable season. And we lost a lot. As we feedback back on it, but before the season started, yes, we're going to be young on defense, but offensively we're ready to roll in 2002. Dante was coming back. Then he declared that he wanted to come back. Then he couldn't come back. And that kind of snowballed everything. But on paper, 2002, especially offensively, we felt we were ready to roll and just everything that could go wrong injury-wise, losing guys before the season started. The first um, constant thing goes down. It was just a year where uh, we were all glad it was over when it ended. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we felt going into 2002. We're in 01. We felt defensively we'd come along because um, we were really, really uh, young. We signed Julian Battle, Demetri Veal, Jabril Wilson. We brought into the JUCO route. And uh, just a tough year overall for everybody and injuries, obviously. Casey, take me through the, the game winner um, to Jason. You know, kind of, you know, was he, was he option number one there? And then, you know, what were you seeing? Yeah. Talk about the throw and when he caught it and crossed the goal line, how much just kind of relief 
you know, having played, uh, you know, better, the better part of basically a half, uh, you know, with, with, yeah. with, with that injury. Yeah, it was a great call by Coach Sanders. Uh, we were in a twin set with a tight end to the backside, and we actually motioned the back out. And it was all go. And based upon if it was middle field open or middle field closed, um, you know, you're going to go to the slot guy, which I believe was Tony, or Jason was in the slot and tight end side, and um, I knew the safety. Uh, we had a pre-snap, and the ball snapped. I knew I had him. I just didn't know if the ball was going to be able to get there. Um, you know, in time, there's going to be a touchdown or interception because uh, that was, you know, pre-snap where he told me to go there and then I verified it, snap of the ball. But uh, uh, I knew Jason would catch it. If I could get it to him, I don't know how, but it got to him and uh, that was a game winner. So a great catch by him. How, how much, how much, how hard was it to throw the ball? Because, I mean, in, in the overtimes, you, you had a 25-yard touchdown pass to, to Tony Brown and you had a 25-yard mm-hmm. touchdown pass to Jason. So it wasn't like everything you were doing with the shoulder was just a dump off. I know it wasn't your throwing shoulder, but just in terms of driving yeah. the ball vertically, how painful was it to do that? Yeah, the toughest part was just getting a snap because um, my off hand, which is my bottom hand, was my left. And every time the ball got snapped, obviously I would feel it. And um, the adrenaline helped a little bit, obviously, but um, you, know, you gotta do what you gotta do to uh, you know, help out your teammates. again. They would do the same thing if it was uh, for me, and I did the same thing for them. So, football's a physical sport. You got to be mentally tough as well as you know physically tough. And uh, you know, obviously, it hurt. Um, but the win was obviously, uh, I think, a big win for us at the time. Um, but I think reality kicked in as I was walking off the field, especially once I got into the uh, locker room, the training room. They took me straight in there, and I think that's when kind of rally you know kicked in on I think what was to come for the rest of the year for me. And I know you never was, know what you never know what you know what event will you know kind of set in course the a chain of events. But you know you get hurt means you, you don't get a chance to beat Georgia the next week. I think you know as Brent we talked about this beforehand. The only team in the, in the conference you didn't beat during your time here, um, and then of course set in motion mm-hmm. the the disgruntled CJ League and you know then ends up Chris ends up going to Florida. I mean it just it was a, it was a it was a cool moment. But I know that you know the, the effects afterwards were uh were, were well felt right yeah it was a tough again i go back to the beginning of the season uh preseason. um even you know obviously things worked out tremendously for for dante and um you know losing um big john and um albert and overstreet we felt especially offensively that you know we're gonna have a really good team um defensively we're young but just everything that could go wrong for such a high-level team on paper preseason-wise where we were kind of projected. The East was kind of down that year, uh, I believe, and, um, and we had some really good, talented guys coming back. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong that year. Um, and somehow we managed to get through it. But um, it was a tough year, not only for us as players, but I'm sure it was a tough year for the fans, you know, watching it, especially after the year we had you know, in 01, but um, I'm really proud of all my teammates and my guys for sticking it out. And uh, no matter what the circumstance was, every Saturday um, we're going to go out and compete. And um, whoever we were playing, they're going to get our best shot. And I think that's what, you know, uh, I'm, I'm most proud of. My, my last question for you about this game, Casey, my lasting image, uh, well, two things. One, I remember doing a talk show on Sunday morning and somebody called in and was trying to be critical of your play. And I was like, you guys have, and I knew what was coming. I knew the shoulder was hurt, 
but it was mm -hmm. it was really interesting if you if you were a fan and even your teammates if you did not look at you your reaction after the Witten touchdown then you really wouldn't know that you yeah. were hurt because you had not shown like even your teammates because they were going to come up to mob you and I remember that image of you're like hey don't touch me like get away I'm and that's when I knew right then that you were really hurt. It was, it was funny, no, like yeah. just just the trainers knew. Nobody else really knew what was going on. Did Coach Sanders even know how bad you were? Uh, I think he might have had an idea, but um, you know, Jason came up and said, "What's up?" I said, "I think he's busted." He goes, "Yeah, I'm not feeling too hot, anyways." And he got popped like midway through the third overtime or fourth overtime. He didn't know where he was either. So to really put the cherry on top, I'm out there with one arm. He got busted pretty good, and he's trying to figure out where am I. So we, we both had to gut it out, but that's just kind of what, you know, we do. I remember after the touchdown, uh, Dustin comes running out, Copeland, to like high-five me, and I kind of almost jumped like midair to protect my left um, shoulder. And um, he looked at me, and he's like, you all right? I said, yeah, I think we'll, we'll see. And so I think that was kind of the first, I guess, glimpse when people kind of – my teammates knew something was going on. But for the most part, um, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? You got to go out there and gut it up and do the best you can for your team and your teammates. So all these years later, you just mentioned two guys that are still playing in the NFL, Dustin Colquitt, Jason Witten. Yep. Jason obviously just signed with the Raiders, which isn't too far from where you're at. Um, so I mean, do you yeah. get a chance to catch up with those guys much? And have you been able to go watch any of those guys play over the years? I haven't talked to Dustin in a while. Uh, Jason and I probably talk uh, – probably once every in season or off season. And I can be more proud of those guys and what they're doing. I think uh, they're doing an unbelievable job. Shoot. Chase is going to go down as one of the greatest tight ends ever play. Dustin, probably one of the, one of the greatest punters to ever play. And I think that was the coolest thing about playing ball at Tennessee at that time is you had Tennessee kids, California kids, Hawaii kids, Georgia, Florida, Texas, like, we were a national brand, you know, and Coach Former and then the assistant coaches back then did an unbelievable job of going coast to coast to recruit the best kids. And it was a family. And, um, you know, we always had you back. And uh, still to this day, Tennessee's playing on Saturday, do everything I can to watch them or TiVo. And then obviously when my guys are still playing on Sundays, um, I get to watch them on Sunday. So I could be more happy of those guys and proud of them and uh, representing the Vol Nation as best as they have been. Well, Casey, it wasn't the most memorable game maybe in, in Tennessee history, but it was certainly a, a, a fascinating six-overtime period that really changed the course of things and obviously your gutsiest performance at Tennessee with playing through the injury. We appreciate you taking the time to join us on uh, this edition of our Rocky Top Rewind uh, of the VolQuest podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. Thanks a lot, guys.